Welcome to Reliability Leader, a podcast about how leaders make organizations that create reliable technology. All righty, but uh, first of all, and if you're recording the podcast, so I'll get this on the front end of your podcast, the fact that you uh, just recently had a milestone birthday, uh, number five zero, and, uh, <laughs> and you being uh, a uh, expert in uh, the field of reliability and related things. Uh, a little bit of gray in your hair gives uh, people confidence uh, than I had uh, wished you before that you have like a nice low um, shape factor one in your in your life curve and then maybe about at a hundred years you know it can go to a shape factor of five like on hundredth birthday when you're when you uh, have that sudden uh, failure because you went paragliding for your hundredth birthday or Yes, that's the uh, that is the definition of statistics love language. Everyone says know the love language of your partners. I think <laughs> I think you I think you nailed it for statistician. So and uh, yeah. I love that. That was fantastic. And you wrote that on my birthday card. You gave me a wonderful birthday card. That was very great. And you wish that my uh, my life curve has a far uh, reaching right. Uh, uh, I don't know you uh, right, uh, right distribution. <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. That was um, fantastic. Unless we get to like replacement body parts and then let's get ourselves on a good reliability centered maintenance plan and make it past a hundred. <laughs> yeah. Get past mean time to fail and get to uh mean time to repair and uh, see if you can just keep going. Right. All right. Awesome. So for design of experiments, uh, you know, we were talking cause we're, we're engaged with a, with an organization that we're helping out and they're kind of noodling for the need for design of experiments and, and I'm a big fan of design of experiments, but I came to it a little later, you know, uh, in my career, not super late in my career, um, maybe about seven years after I graduated with my engineering degree. Uh, and I was working for Texas Instruments and, and they were, were, had a good training course on that. They use the uh, catapult, statapult thing, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, and they and they used it to good effect uh, to kind of, you know, not only for like design, can something be done? You know, what are the levers of your design factors uh, and even optimize performance, but they also, uh, you know, for production, you know, hey, can this be made? And we optimize cost. Uh, material labor, you know, that sort of thing. And then also even kind of use some of the DOE analysis for, for data mining. And, and it was just so super powerful. Uh, we solved a few uh, uh, puzzling problems as we were developing, uh, you know, DLP technologies and projectors and things um, to the point where I contacted the, my college professor who taught experimental methods and in, in the experimental methods book and syllabus, you know, there was a chapter and a section on design of experiments. 
that he said, well, you know, we're not going to cover that, you know, this semester. So I, you know, being a college student um, and, and, and maybe trying to lighten my load and not having enough intellectual curiosity, I just X that out on the syllabus, X the title page out in the book and never, never really noodled on what DOE was until you know, I got to Texas Instruments. And then when I saw the power of it, um, I called the professor and said, hey, you know, that's the one part of the syllabus. That's the one uh, chapter in the book you need to be teaching. So that was kind of my, mm-hmm. my awareness of DOE. Well, wait, describe that moment of becoming aware of the power of it. Because I kind of remember mine a little bit, right? Because to some degree, it's like, yeah, experiments are experiments. And you don't really realize there's this technique that can really extract a whole different level of information from what effectively would be a similar level of effort um, if you did like one factor at a time. So yeah, how would yeah. you describe how would you describe that that moment? So so um, without really revealing too much um, of the ins and outs, because I always kind of try to keep myself aware of uh, if um, you know, but in uh, in developing the. Uh, professional class of the projector there were some challenging things just with like uh, mechanical energies and it was actually a combination of doe and kind of simplification keep things simple um, because with the professional class of projector there were three distinct dn dmd chips for the three primary colors, the the red, blue, green, and those chips uh, to project an image, uh, those three images coming out of your optics had to stay in perfect alignment. Otherwise the image on the screen and and to this day, the dominant player is, is TI's DLP engine for projecting for concerts and, and movie theaters and whatnot. But we'd gone kind of round and round uh, on some things with the optics and some of the uh, parameters and characteristics. And the one factor at a time approach, because uh, folks had kind of forgotten uh, things, the, the one factor at a time approach wasn't getting them there. Um, and instead of keeping optics, the three optics aligned, they would literally, some of our latter rounds of testing of making the design stronger, well, if you restrain glass, even the best glass from Minolta, best optics from Minolta, you, it'll just shatter. Um, so we kind of said, okay, what are the characteristics? And, and so it was kind of a combination of design of experiments and and even like uh, just trees and think of things opposite and things like that. So I had come out of aerospace and I said, you know, um, you know, they don't fully restrain, you know, the wing of your plane. If you look out, out from, from your passenger window to the wing of plane, especially with, you know, newer composite wings, those things are flexing. So, so uh, we kind of use DOE to come up with a design that, that, 
that restrained how we needed to restrain, but also let the optics float in unison because you know, if, if the optics floated in different ways, moved in different ways, it would cause a blurry image. But if they, you know, even just like two or three pixels, if they, if they move uniformly, you know, you wouldn't notice a two or three pixel shift watching a movie, but the optics stayed in line. So it was like the, uh, you know, the, you know, make the design simple. Uh, and sometimes you, you, handle the stresses because the the power of the light going through the optics and the heat energy that makes things grow you know we use doe to solve just that intensity and the heat generated not making the optics shatter but then keeping the optics in alignment we just kind of hey how do we let these things float in unison so like antoine saint exprey and the you know a design's not complete when there's nothing more you can add, but nothing more you can take away. So, so it actually ended up with, we've got good optics now, and we've got a design that's robust to its operating environment. Wait, just for a second on the technology side, what, so the optics floating, you mean, so literally the XY coordinates for the, whatever the colors are for the pixel, that, yeah. that is not, I always picture that as locked in, right? As a matrix, but you're saying that they're relative to each other and the exact, you know, pixel that they're on floats. Right. So, so um, what happens because again, with the professional class, you're shooting, you're shooting a beam of the blue, the red and the green and, and they're fluttering to the intensity to create the colors. And, you know, that, that those had to land, the images from three different chips had to land exactly on each other because if they drifted in different directions, then your image and your, your image is blurry and your colors get uh, kind of you know, off, you know, kind of faded and, and washed out. So, you know, DOE helped to uh, make sure that the optics could handle the energy, you know, imparted to them the, the the heat energy of of the you know I call it a flamethrower of a of a light source, but the other part of it was why don't we just mechanically design where when these when the light engine is what we call it when that thing heats up and you're going to have things are going to want to move let's just have them move you know, let's kind of just close off, you know, three directions and let it move, you know, in, in the fourth direction and they all move at the same rate together. So again, if you're watching a movie, you know, you would not notice on, I don't know how many, forget how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of pixels that you're seeing but if, if the movie screen shifts by three pixels over the course of showing a movie, you're not going to see that with your, you're not going to detect that. You would yeah. just detect, hey, things got blurry. How, um, what would you say, like, when you, the, in DOEs, you see, like, the number one pitfall when people are setting them up and executing them? Um, you know, so, you know, kind of back to basics about DOE, you know, the, you know, a lot of engineers are taught one factor at a time, and 
and they don't like to give that up. Um, the other, but then sometimes when people then, you know, like I did, and, you know, took the class and, you know, nailed the target, you know, characterizing the, the catapult, you know, then I want to do DOE on everything. And I want to make every DOE the mother of all DOEs, you know, with, with 20 factors at four levels and eight replicates. And, you know, so, so one of the pitfalls is kind of like, you know, remember that DOE, it can help you see those interactions and interfaces and, and, and how, how your, how your main uh, factors, your, 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 are, are driving things and how the combinations. So some, sometimes when somebody's new to DOE, then a pitfall will be, okay, I'm totally abandoning the one factor at a time and I'm going to fully embrace the most complicated DOE I can possibly create. So it's yeah. kind of, so, so you really want to just kind of sit back and it's like, what are we trying to see here? You know, and are we just, you know, are we just trying to see, you know, like the first level screening test, um, you know, just kind of how do the main factors, how, how do those knobs, you know, drive things, but then you'll find, okay, well, with a couple more runs, you can get, you know, your main, you know, your, your main factors and the two-way interactions because, because the world, you know, it likes to interact um, and factors, you know, do, do affect other other factors so it's kind of you know still kind of keep it simple and judicious you know and and you can screen you can you can do a pretty robust screening like we were talking about you know the other week pretty robust screening with just eight runs and then and then go from there and even like the one factor at a time guys you know uh, later on i learned like shannon techniques and and the and the you know b versus c six pack test where okay if we just want to check out one factor and we think, you know, like, you know, here's a material and here's a material, which one's better. You know, yeah, we could just do a six pack test, three of this and three of that. And if these three of this, you know, material A are all better than all three samples of material B, then, you know, just with, you know, you know, checking six things out, you have a 95% confidence that, yeah, this, you know, if, if they separate, then yeah. The one material is better than the other. If their results are all intermingled, then it's like no, uh, the materials you know they aren't behaving differently. So that's like a poor man's uh, uh, t test. Um, yeah. But but so you just kind of you you want to kind of you still want to figure things out. Another thing that that comes into play, and it's not just with DOE, it's with anything. Is you know engineers and other folks they like to jump right into testing. And, and you really need to write out a good test plan. So that was the one very good thing from my experimental methods professor is, is if you didn't, if you didn't write out a test plan, have a good documented test plan before you went in the lab to mess with things, um, you know, he would aut automatically mark you down a grade. So so yep. I could, well, I think it's I actually interesting that. because I think your one factor at a time tests improve. You're either because you're putting such a concise methodology to this, you begin to respect the, the method entirely, yeah. right? To where even if you are doing something simple, 
you're going to write it out and kind of have some architecture to it as opposed to just walking in and being like, oh, I'm going to take this one dial and turn it back and forth and see what happens. Yes. I remember that too, as a younger engineer, feeling my entire approach to testing kind of step up a level after learning it. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you kind of see the power of it. And there's different matrices and there's Taguchi matrices that either he or someone named after him and 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 that's another big big mistake. I've I've worked at places or or talked with people where they're just like, you know, we don't do DOE, we do to you know Taguchi methods. And it's like, well, Taguchi methods, they're really just, you know, you know, customized um, you know, DOE that Taguchi used to solve certain problems, but it's kind of you know, but but if you're just kind of blindly doing like a L16 and you don't know why uh, L16 was developed, you know, and and the the number of factors and the levels and this that and the other, you're trying you're trying to shoehorn or or shove you know uh, a square peg in a in a round hole. When I'm more of a DOE generalist, I will usually start with some screening things and then start looking at interactions. And then if you want to get to the nitty gritty of, of, of response surface and de-optimals and this, that, and the other, you know, you can really go to town, but, but really stick with like first principles of, of, of what's driving what, and does it look like things are interacting and it do, does it look like your factors behave in a linear or non-linear fashion and, and really the standard screening and then flesh it out a little more approach, uh, you know, will get you there. And the advantage of, of more conventional DOE is that you can always kind of add on to that model, add more data points into, into uh, your, your data set. Um, so you can, you can grow your data set. You can use the results from your initial screening you know, if you know what your other factors were, or if you held them uh, as a constant or let them float as noise, you know, you can, you can build off a conventional screening DOE and just keep on going. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things, the big realization was how it doesn't, the relationship doesn't have to be so, let's say, amplified, right? I It was oh, yeah. that idea of a hypothesis that then through the statistics, you could demonstrate the relationship, even though it wasn't as evident on your own, right? When you do one factor at a time, you're always looking for this extremely strong correlation, you know, one that can't be argued, but there's so many other shades of it, which then when you use the statistics to extract it, that's when you hit that unbelievable power of interactions, where yeah. now it's not that you flipped switch one to A and switch uh, you know, and what's going on there, A or B, but it's only when switch one is on A and switch two is on B that you see the effect. And that's really almost impossible to extract without yeah. using the statistics, you know, the way it does. And I remember being like, whoa, that is powerful. That's really. Yeah. Well, and, and then, you know, and sometimes, you know, uh, some products, some industries, you know, some things you're just kind of, you know, at Texas Instruments, we just tried to find, you know, what drove what, um, you know, just kind of like when you look at, you know, your, your, uh, graphs, you know, the, the really, the really steeply sloped lines that say, oh, that factor is much more important at this setting than the other setting and, and so on and so forth. But, but when you get into like process industries, like I'm involved in now, um, 
you know, a dairy processor, if you can get them, you know, 0.1, 0.2% better recovery of proteins out of in their milk processing, that could mean $10 million. So you can, you know, so that's where DOE, you know, is like, what drives what, but you kind of get a little more in depth of, of, of just kind of statistically significant, um, but, but very low detected changes. So you really, you really want to help the customer find, you know, in, in tuning of the membrane and the element design, but also with the customer's process and the knobs that they can turn, you can find a way where you optimize and it stays in a very stable region. And now they're recovering, you know, you know 0 0.2, 0 0.3, you know, half a percent more, uh, uh, you know, protein or, or other value added substance that, you know, that DOE, you know, paid for itself, you know, a thousand times over. Yeah. Per year, probably. Right. Like yeah. it's, yeah. Like what you're describing, that such a small percentage can be tens of millions of dollars. And when you think about it that way, the amount of money left on the table by not taking the time to do this and that that are to you and I, the ever present evil of the time to market and rushed schedule, yeah. um, you know, and they omit things like this because they take time. But holy cow, the, you know, the savings, even the savings in time, because you're going to reduce the iterative process of discovery you know, by doing it yeah. as a designed experiment. Oh yeah. And, uh, oh yeah. And then, um, you know, and I think most reliability folks, we're probably kind of at heart environmentalists, or at least I am, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. So, uh, you know, cause, cause, you know, reliability, Hey, we like things that last, we paid money and we want it to last. So we, we like to get our value out of it, throw maintainability onto it and make things last even longer. You know, the car that I drive to and from work is, you know, 16 years old. So I practice reliability and maintainability and, and keep on top of things. But, but then, you know, you know, how, how much more you can use DOE to drive significantly a, a business's bottom line and top line. And, uh, and people just think we're like the statistics nerds and they're like, Hey, those guys aren't too bad. Look what they helped us figure out. The other thing I like about DOE is is that characterizing equation that you get, because because you can get that equation and you can play around with that um, and figure out how to optimize things even more. But but if if you find yourself, you know, when I worked in uh, the machinery industry, if 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 a customer got their machine out of whack, you know, I you know. In our service manuals, we'd say, well, here's how you set the machine up. You know, what do you have it set to versus what you're trying to do? And we've got the characterizing equation. So so let's just pop the values in and, and we'll find where, you know, where to set the machine for you. And they just thought it was magic, you know. And I told you the story of, you know, one company um, that I won't mention their name, but you might be able to pick up their name when I you know, say the piece of equipment. But uh, we, when I worked in the automation company at Gilman, uh, we used, we had an automation machine that put together torque converters and then the clamshell coming together. 
you, you, you orbit formed that. So it was just kind of a folding over and a melding of the, of the two halves together. And, you know, before I joined the company, uh, you know, when they would, you know, have a project where they were doing torque converters and they always kind of scheduled in, you know, about a month to figure out, you know, how, where to, how to set the orbit former. And, and I was like, Hey, we could probably do a design of experiments to figure out, you know, how that thing really works. And so we did that. And, and then I've, you know, we developed a characterizing equation for the orbit former so that uh, whatever the job was, whatever the need was, whatever the variant or the tor torque converter was, we could, we just had the characterizing equation and just, you know, put the numbers in on the, on the HMI screen. But I approached the company that makes, makes the orbit former and said, Hey, I characterize your, your uh, machine. Are you interested in the formula? And it was kind of surprising. They were not interested in the characterizing equation of their machine because they didn't know the power of it. Right. It's amazing. Well, they, I, they were scared of it because they made more money by having technicians out in the field yeah, yeah. You know, and around with these things. And I'm like, well, you know, but here's, you know, but you could have the formula and you wouldn't have to do that. And customers would be happier. And, and they just didn't see it in their business model. And I'm like, you know, you could even have the formula and you can have guys mess around, but then, Hey, Eureka, here we've we figured it out but yeah so that was kind of you know that was kind of disappointing to to figure out for someone else how their machine works and they uh, don't even want the answer and it's crazy. they weren't even interested in it so yeah oh well so dan before we go i would like to say i think i have another good one may your personal wear out curves have a low beta value yeah, that's what and, I was. You know, yeah, I and Hallmark, to, if you're listening, you can use that if you want. Yep, yep, uh, yep. <laughs> or maybe I use the power cards, so maybe they'll uh, they'll pick up on that one. <laughs> but it's always good to talk to you, Adam, because you're a uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar and a thought leader, uh, and and every time I talk with you, I get smarter. I hope you don't get dumber. Hope it's not a zero sum <laughs> thing. Well, I greatly appreciate uh, you as a colleague and a friend as well. And uh, I, I'm glad everybody had the treat of getting to overhear us, have a discussion about stuff. We, you and I always have lots of interesting discussions. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye.